Many of us have never really considered how subtly and profoundly our sense of national spirit has colored our view of the world and of ourselves. The Psychology of Nations by G. E. Partridge shines a light on the philosophy of nationalism and uses this to delve deeply into its shaping of both psychology and sociology. The Psychology of Nations was published soon after the conclusion of the First World War, when the world was still reeling from the impact of unchecked nationalism and technological achievement. Partridge uses this piece to explore the motives for war and how the educational process can be used to redirect these impulses. Partridge has written a grounded and well-considered work, neither advocating a warmongering spirit nor falling into the trap of utopian idealism. It is as relevant in the current era as it was at the time of its writing and provides valuable insights on the influences that lead to national violence. In this audio-learned version of The Psychology of Nations, the narration of the full work is preceded by a summary which includes a biography of the author and background information on the text. Also included are an overview and analysis, as well as an examination of the history of the work, the social impact, and some of the criticisms it evoked. This work is a compelling read for any interested in the impact of nationalism on global society, as well as for those involved in the field of education. Patriotism, Nationalism, and National Honor Many authors find in patriotism or in national honor the chief or the sole cause of war. Jones, the Freudian, for example, says that patriotism is the sum of those causes of war which are conscious as distinguished from the repressed motives. Nikolai says that patriotism and chauvinism would have no meaning and no interest without reference to war, and that for the arts of peace one needs no patriotism at all. Hoche Ernst, another German writer, says that patriotism has made history a story of wars. It has developed the highest virtues and the worst vices, but it creates artificial boundaries among peoples and gives to every fighter the belief that he is contending against brute force. Veblen says that patriotism is the only obstacle to peace among the nations. McCurdy speaks of the paradox of human nature seen in the fact that the loyalty we call patriotism, which may make a man a benefactor to the whole race, may become a menace to mankind when it is narrowly focused. Novikow says that what shall be foreign is a purely conventional matter. Another writer remarks that patriotism is the guise under which the instincts of tiger and wolf run riot. Several writers, Powers and especially Veblen, place questions of national honor among the main causes of war. Veblen would hold that wars never occur unless the questions involved are first converted into questions of national honor and are then, but only then, supported as moral issues. That war and religion have always been closely associated with one another is one of the outstanding facts of history. This is true both of primitive warfare and of warfare today. Yet we cannot say that religion as such has been a cause of war. Religious wars are almost invariably also political wars, and as soon as religion and politics are separated, religion no longer appears to be a war motive. When religion becomes associated with worldly ideas which it supports and makes dynamic, it may become a strong factor in the spirit of war, but as a means of segregating men and giving them unity of action, religion can no longer be regarded as a power, if it ever was. Any motive that will not so segregate men and break up all other bonds cannot be said to be a very fertile cause of war. Religion as a cause of war 
belongs to a day in which the spirit of nationalism was weak and when religious empire had a visible and political position in the world. Nationalism, growing stronger, became the supreme force dominating the motives and interests of men and governing the formation of groups, or at least the actions of groups, as interrelated units. In the recent war, we have seen how the sense of national unity has been able to hold in check all other motives. Neither religion, nor any class or clan or guild interests, could trace the faintest line of cleavage so long as the motive of war remained. The mood of war always contains a religious element. Not only is this shown in primitive wars, where the relations of religion, war, and art are indicated in such phenomena as the war dance, which is of the nature of a magic weapon, but we see it also in the complex moods of the present war spirit of the world. The idea and mood of valor have a religious significance. Cram says...